The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. All right, would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story that is so familiar for some of us uh, and maybe new for some of us. Uh, and yet this story is at the very heart of uh, not just the season, but it's at the very heart of what it means to follow Jesus and to call yourself a Christian. And so we ask, Lord, that you would please help us as we meditate on it again, uh, that you would help us uh, to see and hear the message, both the good uh, and the hard of this message that the angel brings to Mary and what it means for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, so as I said before, we're going to be looking at these three stories of the angel vis visitations of Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. Uh, and in this particular story that we're looking at, we see, and this is true of, of many of the angelic encounters, right, that one of the primary ways that we have understand uh, angels is that they're messengers. They're divine messengers that are bringing news. And really, the, remember that the word gospel means good news. And so really, the angelic messengers are uh, gospel, gospelers, right? They're, they're the ones who, who share this good news for the first time with Mary, with Joseph, and with the shepherds. Uh, Gabriel is the particular angel that we are looking at today. And so Gabriel's bringing this news, but it's, but it's good news. But yet, if you, if you understand the news in its cultural context, you realize that it's actually, uh, it, it's, it's really difficult news as well. It's news that uh, that brings a crisis uh, to to Mary as a young woman, uh, and so we're gonna we're gonna consider what that crisis is and how that applies to our life today. The reality is, that I, I think I alluded to in my sermon, right, in my prayer, is that probably for some of us, like we've, if you've grown up in the church, uh, or if you've been around Christianity for any period of time, like this story is so familiar that it can be really easy and tempting to tune out. Uh, for some of us, however, maybe we're on the other end of the spectrum, right? And we hear the story about a virgin having a baby, an angel showing up in the middle of the, you know, to, to make these kind of announcements. And it just seems absolutely uh, impossible, incredible, uh, just improbable. And so, again, it'd just be really easy to tune out. Uh, so what I, what I want to invite you is to, is to tune in, to pay attention uh, to lean in and see that this story, uh, even though it's hundreds of years old at this point, uh, still has relevance, still speaks to us today 
uh, in our day and age. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to look, first of all, at Mary's status. The angel says something that's very odd. He says you're highly favored. What does that word mean? And, 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 and uh, how does it apply to us? Then we'll look at Mary's son, Jesus. There's so much that we could say about Mary's son. But we're going to look at two things that Gabriel says are going to be true about him. And then we're going to look finally at Mary's service. God calls her into something really difficult. Uh, and we're going to see how that translates into us here today. The question, one of the things that we've been trying to do uh, over the last uh, several months is to have a question that uh, will help prompt discussion, uh, not just for kids, but certainly we're trying to think about our kids as well, but really prompt discussion. So the question this week actually comes from uh, the book, Prepare Him Room, the book that our, we've, we've uh, given as a gift to our families. And it's this, talk together about a time when you've had to trust God's plan, even though you didn't understand what he was doing. And that's a hard question, isn't it? Like for a kid, that's a hard question, but let's be honest, like it's hard for us as adults sometimes to stop and say, how, is, how am I being called to trust God right now uh, when I don't have the full picture? Uh, it, it can be really hard for us to do that. And that really is squarely what's happening to Mary. So the angel shows up, and look, first point, Mary's status. The angel shows up and he says, uh, Gabriel says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now here's the problem. The problem is that you and I uh, are, uh, as followers of Jesus, we have been uh, taught, conditioned, ingrained in us, right? That God is with you, that God hears your prayers, that you have union with Christ, you have all of these things that, 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 that drive home this central point of the reality of God's presence and favor and grace in your life as a result of what Jesus has done. And so you hear, hey, Mary, you're highly favored. And you're like, okay. But you don't stop. To, but you have to stop to realize, like, this would have been completely out of the blue for Mary. For a young woman to hear this kind of news would have... In fact, we see in the passage what it would have done. It says Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So the angel comes with this, this uh, undeserved, unmerited, unsolicited grace, this, this high estimation, this like, like a lot of attention, a lot of grace is being given to Mary in this particular moment. And so here's the really fascinating thing about this, right? When you start like delving in and reading more carefully, what, you, what several people will know is that the, the, what the angel says to Mary here, you are highly favored, that that particular word only shows up one other time in the rest of the New Testament. And I bet you're curious where it shows up. So I'm gonna tell you where it shows up. It shows up in Ephesians chapter one. I'm gonna read you, it's a long section I'm gonna read you because I want you to get the force of this, okay? This is Ephesians 1. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight and love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has, and here's the word, freely given us in the one he loves. You see that? What, what for Mary is news that troubled her, what for Mary is news that made her go, what on earth is happening? 
what for Mary in her context would have been completely unexpected is for you and I the heart of the gospel. That you have received favor from God because of Mary's son. So that's our second point, Mary's son. Who is Mary's son? The angel says so much here. Like there really is the, the, the sheer number of allusions to Old Testament passages here. We could spend all of Advent season unpacking everything that the angel says to Mary, and maybe at some point in the future we'll do that. But right now what I want us to do is to look at two things that the angel says, the implication of two things. First of all, uh, the angel is making, Gabriel is making a theological claim, and then secondly, the angel is making a political claim, a theological claim and a political claim. So what's the theological claim? He says, uh, you've, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're going to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called son of the most high God. So first of all, the name Jesus is significant because the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. But the, the thing that I really want you to focus in on is this phrase, son of the most high God. So most high, that phrase is used in the Old Testament a number of times. It's only ever used of the Lord. And when it is used of the Lord, it always refers to his majesty and supremacy over all things. So what the angel is saying, what the angel is saying to us is that, that the one who saves, Jesus is the one who saves, and that he saves as the one who has the, the, the dignity and the power of the Most High given to him. That's why it's significant that he is born of Mary and Mary is a virgin. We're not going to go down the road of the virgin birth. Uh, again, so much there. Happy to talk to you about it offline. If you want to look at it, happy to point you in a number of different resources. I 100% believe that, that Jesus was born of a virgin. That is not negotiable. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That is the miracle of this event. But what's happening here is this theological claim is that God is breaking in, in his very own presence, that God is coming as the second person of the Trinity. He is coming into space and time in order to be the Savior. That's the theological claim. The political claim is that he's coming as a king. Right? Now, here's the thing, right? We, we're Americans. We don't do kings. Right? Maybe you'll watch The Crown. Right? Maybe that's the degree to which you'll, you're down with monarchies uh, or you're following, you know, whatever the tabloids are saying about what the royal family. We don't do kings. And so it's easy for us to lose the weight, lose the magnitude of the political claim. But I assure you that when this was said, that Jesus' contemporaries did not make light of the political ramifications of this phrase that Jesus was going to be a king. How do we know that? We know that because if you continue reading the gospel story in Matthew's rendition of it, what you find out is that there is a political ruler by the name of Herod the Great who is so, uh, so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Troubled, thank you, Bill, thank you, who's so troubled by, uh, by this news that he orders this mass slaughtering of children. That's how unsettled Herod the Great was. That's how seriously Herod the Great took the claim 
that this baby, who he never was able to find out, get, that this baby was going to be a political ruler. And so what that means for us, right, is that following Jesus is something that affects all of life. It is not just this spiritual thing, right, but that Jesus is a king and that as a king, he demands our allegiance. He demands our following him. This is what the son of Mary does for us. This is who the son of Mary is. Now, the, the, the implications of this, like what the angel is saying is so significant, but there's this little nugget that's hidden in here that I wanted to like just kind of do a little rabbit trail because I read this and I was like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. So our call to confession this morning was from Genesis 3, uh, the story of Adam and Eve eaten from the forbidden fruit. Uh, and uh, what I made reference to there is that the, the, the very next scene, right, God shows up and he gives the promise of a child that was going to come. Well, if you're familiar with that story, if you were here when we preached that story, you know that at the end of the story, at the end of that section of the Genesis account, that uh, God sends Mary, or not Mary, uh, Eve and Adam out of the garden, right? And then who does God place at the entryway of the garden? Does anyone remember? An angel, right? Places an angel, a cherubim. Um, so the, the angel was there in order to, to, to say the way is shut. The way is shut. Uh, there's no coming back in, right? Favor has been lost. You can't be in the presence of God anymore, right? According to, I found this this week, and it just was like one of those, like, what? Um, according to uh, one of the books that I read, uh, there's this book called the Book of Enoch, which is a, a book written somewhere in between 300 and 200 B.C. Uh, it's a Jewish writing. And according to the Book of Enoch, the angel, I'll give you one guess, the angel who is positioned outside of the garden is Gabriel. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but if it's true, are you, like, the angel who said, the way is shut, you can't come in, is now the angel who comes and says, God is opening the gate again. The way back to God, the way to come back into his presence, the gate is opened. Isn't that, like, I, I wouldn't put it past God to have it be the same angel that makes, delivers the bad news and the good news. Uh, so this is, this is the, um, sorry, losing my train of thought. Uh, this is the, the, the message of, of Christmas, right? That, that you are highly favored. Mary receives this message, and for her it's whatever, like, are you kidding me? Strange, perplexed, she's troubled. For you and I, it's become a part of our common understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. How? Because Jesus is Mary's son. He is the one who makes it possible for us to regain favor back to God. But here's the thing about this message, right? The thing about this message is that, yeah, it's really great news, but we can have a really sanitized view of what was going on. Uh, and so here's the reality, right? The reality is that Mary's life was about to be completely turned around. 
It would be easy for us to uh, read the story and read it as one more account of an ancient deity that is um, coming in and is assaulting a young woman. But that's not what happens here. What happens here is that you see that God brings a message to Mary and that Mary, in in simple and yet a profoundness, says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary accepts. Mary, in an act of faith, responds to the message and says, yes. But here's the thing, right? You have to understand the cost that this would have brought on Mary. Think of the, of the, of the uh, of relational cost, right? She's engaged to Joseph. Joseph was going to have every right to say engagement over. This would have brought untold shame on her family. Her family would have had culturally every right to say, you're out of here. So here's this woman who now stands on the precipice of being a single mother, having the shame of, hmm, I wonder how she, I don't know how that happened, right? And people talking about her. The economic ramifications of this, right? For a woman in, the ancient, in, that, in that cultural context to be outside of the protection of a family as a single mom, she would have been in economic dire straits, spiritually, religiously, right? She would have been ostracized from her religious community. Make no mistake about it. What Mary was invited into was a crisis, what Mary was invited into was something that would have, had she taken the time to really think through it, been like, what you are asking of me is an awful lot. There's a reflection, however, that we get from Mary just a few verses later in the Gospel of Luke. We don't know how much time elapses between this first announcement and the time that we get, um, the time that we get Mary's meditation and reflection uh, on what God has done. Uh, but these words have been sacred to the church, so sacred in fact that they've been put to music on a number of occasions around Christmas time. If you're familiar with the phrase the Magnificat, the Magnificat uh, comes from the Latin word for the first word of this translation of this, of Mary's prayer, Mary's song into Latin. Uh, in fact, if you, um, if you wanna listen to a, a, a beautiful rendition of it, the Spotify playlist that we sent out this week has one by J.J. Heller, which is, is just beautiful. Um, I should have prepared myself because I literally was crying as I was writing this on Thursday. Listen to what she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He, like, Mary, the, 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 the heart of this woman 
the, the, the theological insight that she brings, the prophetic voice that she brings us. This is not simply sweet sentimentality. This is not a Christmas card greeting in and of itself, right? This is so profound that out of the crisis in which the Lord led her into, that she was able to experience renewal. So this is an important, this is an important part of Christmas, right? That, that crisis leads to renewal. And this is the way of Jesus. Think, think of the implications of this for our world. Think of the darkness of our world. We have, uh, we had a, a temporary truce in the Israel-Hamas war, and now it's full swing again. A war in Ukraine, political upheaval all over the world. We live in dark times. There is a, uh, uh, an article that I'm not quite finished with yet by uh, Thomas Friedman that was published in the New York Times, and uh, it's called The Rescuers. And it's this, it's this oh, man, it's this gut-wrenching article where he's, he's, he's humanizing uh, what's happening in Israel and Gaza with, with this war. Uh, and, and you just read these stories, and you read some of these stories, and they are just, they're gut-wrenching. And then there you read these stories and they will lift up your soul and sometimes it's the same person's story. Fleming, Fleming Rutledge is an Anglican priest. Uh, she tweeted uh, this past week a quote. She said, this time is a dark time. In easier times, we left night out of the picture and made a lighthearted holiday, a festival and merriment, but now we are back where Christmas started with its deep black background behind the Savior's coming. Listen to this, like midnight behind the star. It is sometimes in the darkness that the light shines the brightest. Crisis leads to renewal. This is true not just for our world, it's true for our church. We enter into this Advent season in the midst of transition. We enter this Advent season, we still have no building. We're still undergoing staff transition. And yet, I can tell you that when we entered into this months ago, right, I said to you all, hey, our prayer is not just for a building. Our prayer is for the process that God is going to take us through. Our prayers for the journey because we believe that God is not just wants to work in giving us to a destination, but that he's going to work in the journey that we're going to take. Can I, can I, like, you, Jesus has been answering that prayer. This past week on Tuesday night, uh, on Zoom, our care community met for the first time. Uh, here's what you may not know. What you may not know is that we had a group of about 20 people, maybe a little bit more, that for approximately two months prayed about starting a care community. And specifically prayed for one particular boy and said, Lord, would you make it clear to us whether or not this particular boy, his name is Isaiah, he's connected to David's Harp Foundation. We prayed specifically, Lord, we need five people to start a care community. And we need you to give us clarity about whether or not Isaiah is the child that you are calling us to serve and wrap around with this care community. 
Tuesday night, care community met to talk with Eunice Step about Isaiah. Answer to prayer. Renewal. A few weeks ago, I had this crazy idea. It's like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite the church to fast. I said that, and I kid you not, a couple of you have heard me say this. Like, I half expected that Kate and I were going to be the only people at our house on Monday night. I had no expectation that anybody would take me up on this crazy idea of intentionally going without food right before Thanksgiving and Christmas. We have, to my knowledge, over 20 people, just over 20 people, to my knowledge, who are fasting one day a week right now. Uh, at our house on Monday nights, we've had approximately a dozen people show up. That is, that has been one of the most singularly encouraging things that I have experienced in the entire time I've been a pastor of this church. The hunger for Jesus in that group is amazing. Crisis brings renewal. And that's not just true for us as a church, but I see it happening in the lives of people. I see it happening in your lives. I've had you come to me and talk to me about transitions that you're experiencing, transitions in career, starting careers, uh, transitioning in between from one career to the other, retiring. I've had you come and talk to me about uh, kids and, and fasting because of kids and things that are happening in the lives of your children. I've had some of you come and talk to me about health problems and physical problems and legal problems and social anxieties. Just this past week, I was meeting with an individual in our church who is crisis, in crisis. I was talking to this individual. We're having conversation. This individual took up the invitation to fast and, and has said that the combination of the crisis and the fasting and a couple of other things that are going on, that, that they have never experienced the sweetness of knowing Jesus like they're experiencing it right now. And this person said to me, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I can continue this practice of fasting because it has become so important for my journey with Jesus. Crisis leads to renewal. This is Christmas, right? Yes, it's the gifts. Yes, it's the tree and the lights and the carols and all of that stuff. But we cannot lose sight as followers of Jesus that at the heart of the Christmas story is that Jesus is inviting you to follow him. And sometimes when Jesus invites you to follow him, he takes you to the last place on earth that you want to go. But it is in that place, however dark it might be, however, however alone you might feel, however scary it might be, it is in that place where Jesus forms us so that we can with Mary say, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has done 
good things for me. Amen. Right? That's why we celebrate Christmas. Right? That's why we can then say all of a sudden, right, this gives you a whole new category for that question. When are those times where, where God has called you to follow him and the way is not clear? And you can say, ah, those times, those are the times. Those are the times when his presence can become the sweetest. Those are the times when our soul can respond and say, we magnify you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for, uh, for our mother in the faith, Mary, and for what you have uh, done for her and for us. Uh, Lord God, we, uh, we ask that you would please help us to follow uh, in Mary's footsteps that when you call us into seasons, and you have called us as a church, into seasons of uncertainty, seasons of crisis, that we might in those seasons find that you are good, that you delight in us, that you do amazing things. May our souls magnify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.